welcome to the Asherah Grove, where we discuss the intersection of women, divinity, and power within the context of Mormonism. I'm your host, Suzette Smith. Listeners, welcome back to another edition, another episode of the Asher Grove. I'm Suzette, and uh, I'm ready to dive in to the general women's session. It's been two weeks now since the uh, general conference wrapped up, and I'm over my cold, so I can actually talk. And I'm going to be discussing the general women's session because the Asher Grove is focused on uh, on women. I did, however, on Facebook, write an entire commentary on the full 10 hours of General Conference. If that is interesting to you, you can find me on Facebook under Asherah Grove. Just send me a friend request and uh, you can check that out on Facebook. So, General Women's Session. Um, Most of my comments will be general comments focused on Elder Irene and Elder Oaks talk in uh, uh, in the podcast. I will start out by saying that um, I will definitely never get over men attending women's conference or uh, women's meetings of any kind. Women um, always have men presiding and attending at their meetings. Just a couple months ago, we had word conference and I counted 11 men on the stand, like 11 and zero women. Uh, It's just I just never get over it. So back to general conference where there were men in attendance. Um, There were men presiding, sitting on the stand and certainly speaking. Uh, And of course there are men, male ushers too, which I think find it funny because they won't allow female ushers at the men's session. But we did thankfully have a woman conducting general women's session. So hooray for that small crumb. All of this, this um, continual, Uh, male presence in female spaces, to me, it just demonstrates that boys are more important than girls in the Mormon church. I hear a lot about how um, LDS leaders value the voices of women, but they actually don't speak very often. Only one woman spoke in eight hours of the general sessions of general conference. And then we go to general women's session, which I was really thrilled what had its own space in general conference. And so after only hearing one woman in the general session, we hear three women speak at the general women's session, which is great, but then also three men speak too. And so I, I really think that we need to look at how much we really do value women's voices and, you know, let them speak, let them get up and, uh, and have a place. We certainly have enough women that could do the speaking. But there's just no space in the Mormon church where women are not trumped by male authority. And for me, that just I just feel infantilized by that. I feel dominated by that. It's like they don't trust the Relief Society or the sisters to like counsel themselves or be over their own affairs. I will concede that the three men who did speak at general women's session are considered to be prophets by their audience. And many women do feel blessed to hear from the prophet at the general women's session. And because the full first presidency speaks at 
you know, the male session, it seems like equality to have them speaking again at the women's session. Of course, my answer to this would just be to ordain the Relief Society president as a prophetess, and then she could speak with her counselors, and then we'd have the prophet and a woman speaking at the same time. But that might be getting a little ahead of ourselves. Let me uh, just briefly talk about the women who spoke. So we did hear from three uh, great talks from women, President Jones, President Craig, and President Franco. Uh, I love their talks. I thought they spoke really powerfully. I thought their topics were very solidly in the gospel and service um, about Christ. And um, I would definitely recommend, you know, going in t- and checking those out. I will make one note that I, I, I just noticed when we're looking at this from a female perspective. And that is, it's always more obvious to me when I hear a woman, a woman speak to other women and continually use the he pronoun when referring to God. I mean, President Jones, for example, mentions heavenly parents early on in her talk, but then she just like flips it and just starts talking about heavenly father. I think she says we are created in the image of our heavenly father and we're striving to be like our heavenly father and then just uses the pronoun he. And I was just sitting there as a woman thinking you're talking to all women and you're saying that we're created in the image of our heavenly father. But Mormons believe in a heavenly mother. So why wouldn't you just say that we as women are created in her image and use at least the pronoun they if you don't use the pronoun she? So just something I noticed. And I think it's a little awkward to talk about um, being created in the image of a male god when you're a female. Um, But moving on to Elder um, Irene and Oaks' talks. And I just kind of have some general observations Obviously, these are coming from my own perspective, and I have my own bias, and I know that that uh, opinion is not shared by everyone, but I do think it will give some insights, which I hope are helpful. I did talk to some of my more conservative friends about um, how they felt about these talks, and they had some very different thoughts to share, um, different from mine. So I am going to quote those at the end of of my conversation here. So I'll put some of those um, other views at the end. So if you're not liking what I'm saying, skip to the end and maybe you'll like what my friends had to say about these talks. But uh, again, I hope that these are perspectives that will be interesting. Um, First is that all of the male speakers, particularly Elder Oaks and Elder Irene, talked about how women feel about being women and mothers. They did not say I would imagine that women feel this way. They didn't say, I've talked to women and they feel this way. They simply stated women's feelings as if they were facts. Let me give you a couple of examples. Here's a quote. As daughters of God, you have an innate capacity to sense the needs of others. Here's another quote. LDS women understand that being a mother is the highest priority and their ultimate joy. And then a third quote, women find their greatest fulfillment in home and family. Women's qualities find their truest expression in motherhood. So all of these quotes are just telling us as women how we feel. And it's kind of troubling to me because we as women are really not given the chance to identify for ourselves how we feel about womanhood, how we feel about motherhood. I myself am not a mother. I don't self-identify as a mother. And so I dislike men telling me that I'm still a mother in different ways when I'm not. And I 
In saying this, I don't mean to say that Elder Irene or Elder Oaks are wrong or right. It's just that I feel like they should allow women to express how they feel about their own life experiences. So let's move on and talk about nurturing. I have a lot to say about nurturing uh, because Elder Irene's talk was just loaded with nurturing stuff. I have three points I want to make about nurturing. So this is going to take a little time. Hang in there with me. Uh, Elder Irene, I think, said the word nurture 20 times in his 14-minute talk. It was um, just a lot. He says that women are nurturers, they're innate nurturers, and while I personally think that nurturing is an excellent virtue, it is certainly not the only virtue. But since it's the only virtue that President Irene talks about, it feels or it felt like when I heard him that nurturing is the only virtue that women have. My first point here is that there seems to be this call for a continual service from women. I find it troubling that Elder Irene's comments about nurturing are only in regards to how women nurture other people. There's no mention of self-care. There's no mention of self-knowledge. There's no mention of self-service. It's simply about how women nurture other people. And while I realize that serving other people is an absolutely positive thing, the underlying theme here that I felt was that there's this continual service needed from women, expected from women. He starts off by saying, it takes great love to fill the need of someone else. And he goes on to show how everything that a woman does then serves her family and other people. Uh, He tells women and tells us that we should study our scriptures and that this scripture study will give us insights on how to serve and nurture others. He does not mention that scripture study might teach us personally the mysteries of God or that that study could benefit our personal spirit. Elder Irene says that our prayers will inspire us in how to serve and nurture others, but he just says nothing about how our prayers might bring us personal peace or that these prayers might create a deeper relationship with our heavenly parents, or even give us personal revelation. We might wonder why it is women who are called to this continual service. Why is this the responsibility of women to nurture? Elder Irene says he doesn't know. But he does say in the talk that he believes it is because of our great capacity to love. In my opinion, the capacity to love is a human capacity, not just a woman's capacity. I think that this kind of rhetoric disassociates women from themselves. So they're feeling like this is our duty when really it's just a human capacity. It's a human duty to love and nurture other people. And so we get this um, weird disassociation. And I don't, I just don't think that's a good thing. Elder Irene also says that women are more sensitive to the spirit and that's why they nurture better. I wonder if this could be true. Um, I've looked up a few things, you know, in this, in like psychology, psychology today and they don't say anything about women being better at caring or nurturing that it's sort of equal uh, a human experience but if women are more sensitive to the spirit I wonder does that make them more sensitive to the spirit than say the prophet who was a man or the 12 apostles who were men and if we are more sensitive to than the prophet or the 12 apostles or other men that are leading the church then why aren't we in charge of church things Why aren't women in charge of spiritual things at church if we are more sensitive? I asked a bishop of mine this question once, you know, hey, why am I sitting in this chair and you're sitting in that chair if you're telling me that I'm better at spiritual things than you are? 
And he continued on to say that he is a man and he's learning through his calling to be more sensitive. And maybe that is true for him. But I, the only thing that makes sense to me on why men are in charge and women aren't or who's more spiritual than the other is just that this is sexist. There's a system in place here that is sexist. And it kind of feels like it says to women, oh, don't be weary if you're tired of all this serving. If your situation stinks, just keep on going because the Lord requires a willing heart and an obedience. And so we move on and endure nurturing. Interestingly enough, this talk on nurturing reminded me of another talk that was given 10 years ago, actually 11 years ago in 2007, from the newly called General Relief Society president, Julie Beck. She gave a talk largely about nurturing, and it had a lot of similarities um, back in October conference, 2007. This talk was entitled Mothers Who Know. You may remember this talk because it had a very negative impact on the Mormon feminist community. Um, people largely like just did not like this talk about what mothers know. It was all about nurturing. In fact, it was so poorly received back then that a group of women came together and they wrote a counter document. They called their document, What Women Know. And you may be aware of this document. Many, many, many LDS women read it and signed it. And you can find the full document if you look up excuse me, if you look up what women know online, you'll find this document. And if you happen to have the book Mormon Feminism, you'll find this full document on page 241. In the preamble to what women know, um, I'll read you just a piece of this. I thought it was really good. They write, we all work paid and unpaid, both inside and outside our homes. We share many decades of service in the church in fact, the L- it is our LDS background that is our common denominator. Several ideas in the body of President Beck's talk conflict with our own inspiration and our own experience. We are authors of our own life, and this is the story we know to be true. And then they go on to list 13 truth items. Um, and the very first one talks about nurturing, which I found interesting. Uh, So I'm just going to take a second on the podcast to read uh, six of the truths that are listed, uh, because I think they apply here. So the first one, which I mentioned is about nurturing, reads, Fathers as well as mothers, men as well as women, are called to nurture. Nurturing is not confined to mothering or housekeeping, but is a universal attribute that communicates patience and care. Number five reads, We reverence the responsibility to choose how, when, and whether we become parents. Number seven, the choice to have children does not, excuse me, the choice to have children does not rule out other avenues of influence and power. By valuing ourselves as lifelong achievers, apart from our roles as mothers, friends, partners, aunts, we stand for creativity, public service, competence, and growth. We take joy in the collective contributions we make in the fields of government, medicine, academia, law, journalism, human services, business, art, healthcare advocacy, music, technology, child development, and science. Number eight, when it comes to employment, most women prefer the luxury of choices of necessity. Number 10, Men are our fathers, sons, brothers, partners, lovers, and friends. Many of them also struggle within a system that equates leadership with hierarchy and domination. 
we distrust the separate but equal rhetoric. Anyone who is regularly reminded that she is equally important probably is not. And finally, their last uh, truth. Our role as mothers, sisters, daughters, partners, and friends are just a few of the many parts we play in the course of our lives. We may influence hundreds, perhaps thousands of lives. We may not do this in specific roles. We can create, we are created in the image of the divine, people of worth in our own right, in our own choices, in our own individuality, and in our own beliefs, that the life story we ultimately are responsible for is our own. I love this whole document, and I find it interesting that 11 years after this outrage over President Beck's talk, we get a very similar talk from Elder Irene. And to me, that is uh, disappointing in progress. Let me move on to point number two in nurturing and how I felt about Elder Irene's nurturing comments. And this is that these comments were made in front of a wide range of ages and that they were going to affect our young girls. There were eight-year-olds in the audience. These eight-year-olds are too young to have heard President Beck's talk. They were also 16-year-old young women. There were 22-year-old young adults. And I wondered how these words were impacting them. Elder Irene says, your charge from God is to nurture as many of your fathers. Let me start that again. Your charge from God is to nurture as many of your family members as you can with your faith and with your love in Jesus Christ. So this call to serve and to nurture, which is all focused on other people, is explained as a charge from God himself and herself, I guess. And this charge fell on the ears of these young girls, and it's going to impact and shape how they eventually define themselves um, as LDS women. And I find that a little bit troubling. Elder Irene continues, each time you obey, your power to nurture will grow. He emphasizes obedience to these young girls, and he tells them that their reward for obedience and nurturing is, of course, that someday they will nurture their own children. And that brings us to my third point about nurturing, which is, what about the rest of us? These young girls will grow up and find themselves in a variety of situations. They'll be, they may be single and childless, like myself, married and childless, married in heterosexual relationships with families, married in homosexual relationships with families, and they could also be single with families. So how do they feel in these grown-up situations when Elder Oaks um, makes a comment that he made earlier in conference, exaltation can only be achieved by an eternal marriage between a man and a woman. The church wants to qualify all of God's children for the highest degree of glory. For those who do not desire or qualify for that, he has provided lesser kingdoms. So I just thought, well, there we are, the rest of us, doomed to the lesser kingdoms. I myself um, heard these same sentiments as a girl and all through my growing up years. I was really excited about being a mother. I couldn't wait to be a mother. I planned to have three boys and two girls, and we were going to have great family home evenings. I was going to build tree houses, kiss noses, teach the gospel, and it was going to be wonderful. I'm now 48, and I never did have those five children. I didn't even have one child. I never got married. And so at this women's conference, I was reminded that Telestial Kingdom, here I come. Elder Irene uh, did sort of make this okay by saying that we are all nurturers. I mean, we're all mothers. There are many ways to mother and nurture. I very first heard this idea of many kinds of mothers 
back with uh, Sherry Dew. 1997, I was 27 years old, and she gave a talk about how all women are mothers. And I love this idea. I was really inspired by her talk. I read it many times. I felt like, at last, there was this way that I could fit into the club, even though I still didn't have children. But of course, at the age of 27, I still had many years of fertility ahead of me. Um, And now here I am. What is it, 20 years later? And how do I feel about this idea? Well, I think it is cold comfort. And that's what I feel about this idea. I, I will pause here. I'm going to go a little bit off on a tangent, but I think it's it, it does apply. And that is that our faith community is really desperate to wrap up these messy situations. Like the one I find myself in, like headed to the celestial kingdom because I'm not married and don't have children. We want to like wrap that up. And so... People talk to me about how things are going to be made right in the eternities. They talk to me about how there are many ways to mother because they want to fix the situation. And what happens is we don't allow each other to take time to grieve the things uh, that have happened to us. So I, we don't let ourselves grieve what we have missed. I never had children. Okay, I've said that a few times. Anyway, so there were a few years when... Um, I realized this was my reality. Like my body had given it up. It wasn't going to happen. <coughs> Sorry about the coughing. I still have a little bit of my cold. During these years, when I realized uh, motherhood was not an opportunity for me, I was sad. I was angry. But people kept telling me about adoption and the eternities. And so I turned to my other single friends who didn't have children and they are the people who understood what I was feeling. And we just cried together. We allowed ourselves to have this moment of grief. I wanted to read a little piece of a blog that was written by a friend of mine named Julie Lefgren. And uh, she talks what it, about what it feels like to, um, to have to grieve some of this. So she writes, unlike the sudden sting of death, that the, lo- um, that the death of a loved one brings. My grief is spread out over time. When a parent deals with a tragedy like the death of a child, everyone comes together. There is a funeral, there is mourning, but my grief has no name, no grave, no hymns, and no community gathered to bear it. Slowly and by myself, I bury my un- And I take this small tangent uh, because I, I think in a talk like this where some people are going to feel um, unheard or not a part of it. I do think it's important as a community that we spend more time grieving the things that we have lost and we can come back and we can find ways to fit in. But if we don't take the time to feel the grief, I think we, we do ourselves a disservice. While I love uh, children, my nieces and nephews and the children in my ward, they are not a replacement for having children of my own. And while I think that I do nurture them well, it's not the only thing that I do of value. I think all humans need to be recognized for the thing to the table, for the things that they're good at. Like, while I I think I am a good nurturer to the children in my life, I am also good at my job. I'm good at scripture study. I'm good at dancing. I'm good at remembering birthdays. I'm good at making timelines. I'm good at organizing stuff. And I contribute these things to my community. And we all contribute things. Nurturing is one of those things. There are lots of things that are needed and important. And I just feel like it would be wise for our church leaders to cast a wider net when they're speaking to a general off, uh, a general audience, like general conference. Cast a wider net so we realize that while nurturing is great and it's important, there's so many other things because it ends up just being painful to hear a talk like this. 
I think I'm finally done on everything I want to say about nurturing. Um, so let me just talk briefly about equality. And let's look at Elder Irene's talk again. When it comes to uh, equality and patriarchy, uh, I will say that overall the Mormon church is all over the map. Um, the heart of this is in the family proclamation where they use the words equality and preside in the same sentence, in the same paragraph. And it's just really confusing about what they really mean. Elder Irene does the same thing. He talks about an equal partnership. And he says that women are charged by God um, as the primary, uh, their primary role is gospel instruction and the nurturing of children. So this is really weighty. And he's saying this is what the role of women is. And for me, of course, it hardly hardly applies. It doesn't make me feel equal to my brethren at church because my role doesn't even apply to me. So while he um, explains that women, men and women are equal on the next, and then he says, you know, women have this one certain role, and it's just not the equal role of presiding that men have. He explains why this is by simply saying, as nearly as I can see, this is how it's always been. He then refers to Eve by saying, this is what he says about Eve. Eve was given the role of partaking of the fruit, keeping the father's commandments, and forming a family. So I flipped open the Bible and read the account of Adam and Eve in Genesis. And I think Elder Irene is taking some liberties here and stating his own opinion. Because it doesn't say in Genesis that Eve's role was to partake of the fruit or to form a family. So Elder Irene, right or wrong, is using this opinion of his about Eve to support his claim that we should all be nurturers. Certainly, that does not make me feel equal in the church. I will say that there are other women who feel differently, and I'm going to read some of their thoughts um, at the end after I talk about Elder Oaks. So moving on to Elder Oaks, um, he is back on the topic of motherhood, and he says, Children are the most important and precious gift from God. But we live in a time when many women want no part of bearing and rearing children. So again, going back to men telling women how they feel, I was wondering, um, Elder Oaks, are you going to allow women to choose for themselves how they feel about these children? Are they the most precious gifts? Are we going to allow women to choose for themselves if they want to bear children, when they want to, how they want to? Sometimes I wonder if he would prefer a place like Gilead. Um, in asking these questions... Of course, I don't want to dishonor motherhood. It's a choice that women make, and it's a noble choice. It's a difficult choice. I certainly applaud it. I applaud all the choices of women. Elder Oaks goes on to say, Many young adults wait until temporal needs are met. Our age of marriage has increased by two years, and the number of children is dropping. He identifies these facts as trends that work against our Heavenly Father's plan. And this brings more questions to my mind. Like, why is it bad to have a little bit of money before starting marriage and family? And why is having fewer children a bad choice or wrong choice, considering that life is expensive, people have needs, and certainly the earth needs to preserve resources? I actually worry when I heard these comments that, like, young couples, men and women, might make life choices because of his words without fully considering them. The stat that hit my heart the hardest was 40% of children in the United States are born to unwed mothers. <coughs> oh. 
Elder Oaks again states that this statistic, 40% of children are born to unwed mothers, is going against father's plan. And oh, my heart just broke when I thought about the single mothers that are sitting in this audience. How did they feel about this? There might have been teenage girls in the audience who were unwed and pregnant, and how are they going to feel? And the people around them, does this give them liberty to judge them harshly? Single motherhood is sometimes a choice, sometimes not. It certainly comes with its fair share of trials. But one thing I believe is that we've got to support our single moms. We don't want to find ways to disparage them. We want to support them. And so this leads me to my final question for Elder Oaks. He tells the young women they should be kind, which, sidebar, is a great piece of advice. So I want to say to Elder Oaks, with all these things you've just said, do you consider yourself kind? And that wraps up my personal thoughts um, on Oaks and Irene. And I hope this has been an interesting perspective. Uh, Maybe you think I'm being a bit too hard on Elder Oaks and Elder Irene. Um, And maybe you believe I've read into their messages things that they did not intend. I will admit that I do hold our general authorities to a pretty high standard. I believe they have all the resources they need to compose their words, to check their facts, to know their audience, and to be guided by God. They are, after all, both paid and sustained to be prophets. So I do hold them to a high standard, and I believe that they should speak carefully and be really aware of the impact of their words. So I share these thoughts in hopes that those who are listening will just consider the impact of the words and, you know, use your own personal revelation to move forward with their counsel. So I've finally come to the point where I told you before that I was going to read some of the thoughts that were given by some other people that are different from mine. The first um, thought that I wanted to read is from a friend of mine. She was married in her 40s and um, adopted two children. And this is what she says. I loved Elder Irene's talk. I found it empowering. As he referenced the proclamation on the family, I realized what great power women actually have in the kingdom of God. Many societies and religions require women to submit to men, When it comes to teaching and nurturing, both in public and in their homes, Elder Irene points out that that God does not intend for women to sit on the sidelines under men. He reminded us that per the proclamation, we are equal partners in teaching, nurturing, and rearing children. We don't have to go through men to access doctrine, to teach, to participate. Women Women cannot be exalted without the man, but neither can men be exalted without women. Do you realize how empowering this is? Nowhere else that I'm aware of teaches that men actually need women to be exalted. In many societies and relationships, women are not given equal status when it comes to salvation. He did a really great job in the empathy department, in my opinion, and he specifically named states of life in which different people can be found, and I thought this was encouraging. As you know, I spent much of my life in the church single, and then I had no kids for a while. But even when I was single, I knew there were other ways to nurture without being married or giving birth. Again, I think if women could take a step back from themselves and dig deep into the doctrine of the plan of salvation, that we would all see that when the brethren talk about families, they do it because families are central to the plan of salvation and that Christ is playing a pivotal role. I often hear comments lamenting Uh, such talk about that there's so much talk about families and not enough about the Savior. In my opinion, the two are interconnected, and speaking of one does not and cannot diminish the other. So the second um, 
quote I want to read is from another friend. Uh, she uh, was married, married young, actually, and now has five children. And she says, Elder Irene talked about nurturing. I believe that this can be done in many settings, including church callings. I don't think he intended to be condescending. I believe that he was trying to give women high compliments. For me, I love it when they say women is the highest calling, the best thing we can do with our lives. I think this is true. I don't think that motherhood should ever be diminished because we can do other great things in our life. I understand that this would be hard for me to hear if I was in a different situation. But like President Nelson said, we are all mothers. And when he talks about mothers, he's talking about all women. I really like that because a woman has so many attributes, which are the same as mothers, like love and selflessness, that his comments about mothers apply to anyone. But also, I like that he talked to the youth. I think they want to build up motherhood so that young girls will want to have families, which of course is central to the plan of salvation. And then finally, my third friend, who is also married and uh, has three children, she says, I don't feel like I am praised for being a mother in the same way that my husband is praised for being a doctor. Not that it's wrong or right, but it is hard to be a mother and to be available to people 24-7. It's nice to hear that I am doing something important. Our leaders tell us that the church needs strong women who can teach and lead and raise kids. I like a lot of things about being a mother. I also realize that I've given things up as well. I think that it's true that women want less kids than they did before, but I feel this this is in large part because of how men have treated us. I think that talks like this can sometimes feel black and white, and it might be better if they addressed the struggle. For me, I personally feel this is where the spirit comes in. I might think, wow, this talk is rough. But the Spirit helps me pull out the parts that are just for me and not worry about the rest. When I read and listen to the talks a few more times, the Spirit helps me see what's important. Maybe we should not think so much about who was right and who was wrong, because in the end, we we may realize that we were all right. And I feel like that's kind of a good way to end this. Um, Just sharing these different perspectives on what was told to us in Women's Conference. Uh, Maybe I'll do one that's focused on Christ and talk about what the women said. But that's what I have to say about it for today. Uh, So goodbye to my listeners until the next episode. May the Lord lead you and guide you and walk beside you and help you find your way.